Welcome to the Confident Money Podcast, where we talk money, finances, and accounting for real people without all the technical jargon, patronizing, and gatekeeping. I'm your host, Caitlin Magnuson, and I'm going to be your new finance bestie. Welcome back to our mini season talking all things mortgages and home buying. We have Kyle Seagraves here, who is a certified mortgage advisor, licensed loan originator, and the owner of Win the House You Love, a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers. Kyle, again, welcome back. I feel like this is Thank just so going to be old hat at some point. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about all things timing with the home loan process. So, you know, pre-approval, how the approval process works, you know, how to really just schedule and plan for what this can look like. Yeah. This trips up people a lot because I think, especially for those people who are like me, who everything has to be in a calendar and be organized and have to prepare for every single step in my life, uh, it can be a little frustrating because you don't have as much control over it. Um, and ultimately, there is this fear of rejection that I think prevents us from actually taking the first step because we have, we're listening to so much information. We're like, oh, am I ready to buy now? Or do I have enough savings? Or is this the right move? I'm hearing stuff about the market. When in reality, there is zero risk in applying for a mortgage in starting the conversation. Um, it's it, it kind of in a similar way, like I, I have a friend of mine who uh, he just got out of a relationship and he was like, oh, I can't, I'm ready to start getting back into something a little bit, but I'm afraid of, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. I was like, hey, there's zero risk. It's just a date. You're not, you're not getting married. I probably like, please don't get married. The first person won't get married after the first date. Like just dip your toe in the water. It's fine. Yeah. It's just a date. Same thing with applying for a mortgage. Like you can begin talking with a loan officer and it just be that, hey, I just want to see where I'm at. Could you could you let me know where my credit's at, where my budget is? Uh, show me some numbers so I can get familiar with this. I'm not sure if I'm ready to move forward, but I'd like to take a, a first look at this. I think people that can really getting... be embarrassed sometimes too about mm -hmm. where they think they are financially and what they think that means or the story they think it tells about them. And I think mm. that wherever you are is where you are, but knowing where you are and like what you can afford or if you need to make changes or if you need to do some work, I think can be incredibly empowering, but you don't know unless you've talked to someone and started or dipped your toe in. Yeah. This is why I think it's helpful to have that. I think we talked about this in the first episode, like, Hey, don't talk about your numbers with people because like, let's only talk about numbers with people who can help us make decisions about numbers. Um, because if I'm telling all my numbers to all my friends and family, and then I go and talk to a loan officer, I'm going to have that fear of like, well, what if, what if I have to come back with different news and they think about my situation differently or, or whatever, whatever that narrative is. When, if we're just talking with the, the people who can actually help us give us information about these numbers, uh, it takes off some of that pressure of like, Hey, the loan officer is really there to just help you see if you can qualify for a loan or not. I promise you, they want to help you qualify for a loan because they they get paid that way, right? <laughs> right. No loan officer gets paid by turning you down for a mortgage. So if they can make it work, they're going to absolutely try to do that. Um, not to say they're going to like all people are going to just push you into something that you're not comfortable with, but like they're incentivized to help you get a mortgage. So they're not really there to sit and be like, "Haha, this about your financial situation." Right. Uh, they're interested in saying like, "How can we help you qualify for a loan?" And most loan officers that I I've talked to. It's usually not just like a hard no. It's usually like, hey, here's the things we need to work on to begin the process. And really there is just, we can do all types of exercises and planning and scenarios before we start that process. 
But you will learn so much about your financial situation and about the future of buying a house by just having that conversation. Because when we talk with a loan officer, not only can we see, can we get approved for a loan, but once we can, we figure out what our monthly payment's going to look like, how much house we can afford, and then also what the upfront costs are going to be, which just accelerates your planning so much further than if you're just spending a ton of time not actually taking that step. And we're just theoretically looking at, well, the down payment could be this, monthly payment could be that. All to find out, then we get it, we apply and find out we're doing the math wrong. Right. I think we can all be guilty of Zillow shopping, but not actually, mm-hmm. you know, understanding what we have or what we can be working with versus, oh, hey, yeah. it looks like that, you know, $400,000 house that you kind of had an eye on or that range you were looking at. That's totally realistic. That's totally doable. Go for it. And mm-hmm. I think it can be a really freeing feeling to be like, I can do that. Or I yeah. can do that once I've done X, Y, and Z. Like it gives you such a clear action path. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, and rather than looking at like the $600,000 house and then getting approved and being like, okay, but I actually can't do that right now, but it's something we can do in the future. Yeah. It just, to me, I, I tell people, I use the phrase like emotional failure. Like, are we setting ourselves up for emotional failure? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we are, yeah, we're kind of doing a little bit of sabotaging um, because we were afraid to take the next step. Yes. Yes. So with the process and getting, you know, getting started and having that conversation, let's say that maybe they're in a spot to start moving forward, right? Maybe what they're looking at and what it sounds like and their finances and their debt and their credit scores and everything comes together and they want to move forward. What does that next step normally look like for someone? Yes. Um, So I think the first thing to do is begin talking with three different lenders. So I'm going to talk with, I usually like to, uh, have people look at three different types of lenders. So one being uh, a big bank um, or a big direct lender. So this would be uh, someone like, and I'm not vouching for any of these companies, just throwing out examples. Um, bank of America, Quicken Loans. Those would be good examples of the kind of the big companies you see have commercials about mm-hmm. mortgages. Um, the next would be a local credit union. It's going to be local to either your city or county or state. Um, some lender that just works with a small local group of people. Uh, they might have some different options than a bigger national brand. And then also looking at a mortgage brokerage. Um, brokers don't charge any extra. They don't charge anything different than with a bank or a credit union. Um, you actually might find some savings with a broker or more creative options with a broker. So shopping with these three different types of lenders will allow you to have a really good range of conversations and numbers to begin looking at. And it's really as simple as I can Google mortgage broker near me, Mm -hmm. find maybe some people with good reviews, give them a call, say, Hey, I'm looking to begin the process. I'm not really sure where my credit's at. Here's kind of, I'm thinking of buying a house that maybe is like this. What would be the next step? They're usually going to send you to, uh, most of the time an online application, or they might take it over the phone. And all you're doing here is you're just sharing, um, probably more financial information than you've ever shared with anybody (laughs) in your life. Um, it's a lot of stuff. Where do you live? Where do you work? How much do you make? How much is in your bank account? all these different things. Um, and usually they're going to ask you for documents to support what you put on your application. So if you say I make $7,000 per month, they usually want to see the pay stub that supports that. If you say I have $40,000 in my bank account, okay, we need to say the bank support bank statement that supports that as well. They just want to make sure that they're giving you something that's accurate. But as we have these conversations with these three different types of lenders, it's going to start to draw out some really good questions that we might have about the process that we can ask those loan officers. And that is going to 
really kickstart the process. After you're done with that, at this point, you should have three pre-approvals, meaning you're approved for a loan and three different loan quotes. So we can see what the monthly payment's going to look like, what the upfront cost will look like as well. Then at that point, you should be very confident about like, hey, our financing is kind of taken care of. We did the steps. We got three yeses. And we're ready to move forward with the home shopping portion. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you subscribe and join our community at confidentmoneypodcast.com, where we share resources and all of the money happenings. Plus, you can send feedback and suggestions for what you'd like to see covered in future episodes. That's confidentmoneypodcast.com. Okay, back to the show. So once that happens, and I think that we'd encountered this potentially once, but let's say you get pre-approved faster than you were anticipating, or let's say that Mm -hmm. in the market that we have today, you then go out and you start house shopping, which I think can be both the fun and the horrid part of (laughs) home buying, Mm -hmm. depending on who you are and what you like to do. But let's say you get out there and you're doing it and you are getting, you know, past, because normally these pre-approvals, if I remember correctly, have a a time limit on them. If I'm yeah. remembering yeah, correctly, so what happens if it's like been six months and you're still shopping and haven't found your house? Yes. If that happens, it's perfectly okay. You're going to survive. <laughs> Nothing's going to break apart. Um, so usually your credit report is going to last four months. So what this usually means is you're going to expect to be under contract for home around 30 days from the time you put an offer and it's accepted to closing. So that leaves you about three months to shop. If you it takes longer. It's perfectly okay. Like there, there is no, there's no payment that's required up front to get it pre-approved. If you, if a lender charges you something, like don't work with them. Uh, no reputable lender is going to charge something. And if you like, like, hey, this is actually too much for us right now. That's fine. You can say that and back out. <laughs> there's no risk. And so if that happens, where you've been shopping, and for a lot of people in this market, this has been happening. They're looking at homes for a few months and they can't find something. That's okay. Um, what you can do is talk with your loan officer and say like, hey, we haven't found anything yet. And your loan officer might want to handle it a couple of different ways. They might ask for an updated credit report where they might put another inquiry on. If that's the case, still isn't going to be a huge impact to your credit score at all. Maybe a couple points. That's it. Um, if that's the case, it's okay. For a lot of lenders, they'll be like, great, just let us know if anything big changes. Anything big with your credit, big with your income. They usually won't have to do anything updated until you're ready to look at something. Um, so if you're that adamant in the search process, I don't, I personally don't think you need to keep getting updated credit reports through the whole thing. It's just, if there's any big change, Hey, you know, it's been six months and then we applied for a car and we got a a new car and a new credit card. Then maybe we want to update the credit report to make sure it's still accurate. But for most people, it's not something they have to worry about. Just communicate with your loan officer and they'll help guide you through it. Um, if you haven't found a home, like it's not like you have to go through the whole process over again. They're just going to be updating your loan application. That makes total sense. And that was actually going to be a question that I asked is I think that a lot of advice that's given out is, you know, don't open any new lines of credit when you're in the process of buying a house, right? No auto Mm -hmm. loans, no big furniture purchases. So I think that that, and you can let me know if you disagree. I think that's sound advice. If you're in the, if you've put an offer in that's been accepted, you're in that, that process. But I think if we're talking about people that are looking maybe for an extended period of time, I would say maybe just chat with your loan officer before you're making any big changes that could impact what you're able to qualify for rather than putting everything on hold for six to 12 months. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you absolutely can still make changes. Just make sure that you do communicate those because they might change things. You know, if you get a new car, like that's going to give you an inquiry, lower your average age accounts, increase your credit utilization, uh, and change your credit mix. So that could have a significant change on your credit report. And so that's something you can do. Uh, but if you're like actually under contract for a home, we don't want to change anything. When you're buying a house, it introduces a lot of life change. Uh, we want to buy a new house, but then I need a new car to adjust for the commute. And then I want all this furniture and it's all this stuff. Just do it after. You absolutely can wait till after you buy a home. Maybe you don't have all the furniture in. It's okay. You'll be all right. <laughs> You'll survive. But you do not want to derail your home purchase because you changed something with your credit. So ultimately, after you get a pre-approval, in between that and closing on your home, you just want to make sure that any change that you're going to make to your credit or any big changes like changing jobs or something like that, talk to your loan officer before you do that. I was talking with yeah. a friend of mine who just bought a house recently and um, he just wrote an offer to buy a house. So seller accepted it. He's been under contract for maybe a week. And then he was like, oh man, I forgot to tell you, I'm about to take a, a job with another company. I was like, wait, no, you're not. No, don't stop. Don't do it. Do it after. Just right. wait. Like, and so you, I was like, I, what in, you need to call your company that you're going to work for. I was like, did you tell your company yet? The company you work for now? He's like, no. Okay. Tell them, hey, we need to change my start date to after the closing. And they accommodated it and it was fine. But otherwise what would happen is it completely changes his income. Even if he, even though he was making more money, mm -hmm. it completely readjusts everything. And likely he would have had to been at the new job for a minimum of two weeks, possibly a month to then close. Would the seller ex extend the period for that long? Right. Another month? Probably not. They might go with another offer. Don't make any big changes to your income, to your credit, or to the money you have in your bank accounts uh, until you talk with your loan officer. That actually brings up A, a question, B, a funny story. So I think that a lot of times with that, with the bank account, you know, making any large changes, cash deposits, cash withdrawals during that time frame, And I, I will share mine. And then I would love kind of your thoughts or guidance on that. We, we sold our, my first house in September of 2019, did not plan to buy for six months until the spring of 2020, went to go casually look at houses in Idaho in the first week of October in between the first week of September and the first week of October, I had a large photo shoot. Hmm. That large photo shoot included a lot of cash for images and, you know, having some fun and doing all of that. And I, in my infinite wisdom was like, this is fine because we're not looking to qualify for a home until the spring. Then when we put an offer in the first week of October, uh, I got to answer some great questions. This is why I had a very large cash, cash withdrawal and then a very large cash deposit of the same amount in a 24-hour time frame. And I got to provide, it was actually my favorite thing, once uh, my loan officer laughed her ass off about it when I told her why. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to need some pictures to just kind of corroborate all of that. And so I sent pictures mm -hmm. over from the photo shoot and everything was fine, but it definitely caused a snag in the whole process, but I at least knew that going in. So what kind of you know advice do you have for people when it comes to large bank deposits or withdrawals? Uh, yeah, the withdrawals is not much of a concern. The only thing that the lender is looking at with withdrawals is are they monthly? Are they things that happen regularly monthly that would indicate there's a debt not mm -hmm. showing on the credit report? That's the only thing they really care about withdrawals. Other than that, you know, <laughs> I have a funny story too. 
Um, one of the loan officers here in, in our company was, uh, people don't like sharing their bank statements. Totally get it. Um, we're not really looking at like how much you go to Chipotle. Otherwise, <laughs> I would be the most embarrassed person in the right? world. No judgment here, yeah. I go too many times. Um, but this, we asked this lady for her bank statements and she was like, what, do you want to see how many sex toys I buy? Like, <laughs> kind of now? Well, now that you say it, I really am interested. Uh, I wasn't before. Your lender is not looking through like, oh, you went to Speedway and you went here and like, they don't care about that. The withdrawals are only looking to see, oh, is there a debt on here that right. didn't show up? From the deposits, usually payroll deposits are easy to see. We can see from a certain company. Anything that's non-payroll is going to have a question added with it. And it's not like this big interrogating, no one's going to put a big light up to you and be like, so uh, what was this deposit? Like, it's not a big thing. They're just going to be like, hey, this money came in. Uh, we need to source it somehow. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of places you can get money from that are acceptable. Um, but there are a lot that are unacceptable. Things like loans, like those that need to be added to a credit report, um, like cash uh, advances from a credit card, it can't be used. Or even, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I sold my truck and here's a $10,000 mm -hmm. uh, deposit okay, like I need a receipt to see that you actually sold the truck. And unfortunately, a lot of this has come from a lot of the money laundering rules mm -hmm. since the Patriot Act, where banks and lenders have to report all this information of how money got shifted around. It's really annoying. But what I recommend for people, if you're going to have uh, deposits, first talk to your loan officer about this. Hey, is, would this deposit be acceptable? If it's not acceptable, as long as you're waiting two months, the underwriter won't see it. Because you're only going to have to submit 60 days, two months worth of bank statements to your lender. So if you have a deposit before that, it's what's called seasoned. That money already sits there and exists. And the lender doesn't have to see before the two-month period. Right. Now, anything they see, they can question and actually subtract it from the money you can use. So for instance, let's say we have $30,000 in our bank account. And you have $10,000 in cash. And you're like, I've just been saving $10,000 in cash, which a lot of people do. Uh, for some reason, kind of blows my mind. Yeah, but the mattress money. Yeah. Yeah. I Finding a lender that will accept cash is almost impossible at this point. It can ex it exists in some of the guidelines that say this is the way it's acceptable. I have yet to find a lender that will allow cash. It's just too risky um, because that lender then might have to answer, what was this cash? Did you prove that? How do you know for certain right. that that's where it came from? And it's so hard to document because it could come from anything. Um, even if we're giving like receipts and it just have very rarely seen cash work. So let's say we have $30,000 in our account and we had a $10,000 cash deposit. What might end up happening is a lender says, we can't use 10,000. We can only use 20. Mm -hmm. And if your down payment and closing costs are going to cost you 25, we need to find another way to bring in $5,000 or to prove that we have $5,000 that we have access to. Right. Which often can cause people to need things like a gift from a family member or different things like that. To I was going to ask about gifts from family members. So let's say, and I, I know I've seen this come up sometimes, but let's say that you have, you know, generous parents that are in a place to your family member or friend or someone that mm -hmm. is in a place to gift you, you know, funds towards a down payment. What would someone need to know about that or about documenting that? Yeah. Yeah. Gifting is, is really easy. It's just a small bit of paperwork. So uh, yeah, a family member, it can't be a friend. Can't mm -hmm. just be like, Hey, I really like you. Also, if you have those friends who are giving you money like that, I would love to be connected. I think we could be great friends too. So it's 
usually has to be a family member and different loans have different guidelines, which you can look up. Sometimes, sometimes cousins are allowed. Sometimes they're not sometimes, you know, all those things. So if it's a parent, really easy. Uh, what I recommend is talking with the loan officer to coordinate this first. What a lot of people do is they move the money around without telling me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, we have to document it this way then. And right. it, the documentation depends on how the money got moved. So if the money went from your parents' bank account to yours, let's say they gifted you $10,000, I need to see like updated bank statements. I see to see the proof of the check. It's all like annoying. The easiest thing is talk to your loan officer. And what's usually best is the donor gifts them, gives the money to the title company. Mm, okay. The title company will provide a receipt that the money's there and that's all that we need. There's a gift letter as well. And the gift letter is going to say, we, the parents, give our child $10,000 with no expectation of repayment and a couple other details, you know, date, phone number, all that kind of stuff. And it's really that basic. And for most loans, you can use the gift to cover the down payment and or the closing costs, um, which can be really helpful. And gifts are actually extremely common. So gifting is not terrible. It just... Sometimes the issues with documentation with something like an FHA loan, often mm -hmm. lenders will want the donor's bank statement. They want to make sure that it didn't come from, same thing, those money laundering uh, kind of policies. They want to make sure it didn't come from some random whatever. Right. Who They're knows? just saying that the deposit matches the withdrawal that came from where you said it came from and kind of yeah. closing the loop on the documentation for that. They need to make sure that you didn't. Yeah. They don't want to see the donor's bank statement. All of a sudden there was our cash deposit for $10,000 yeah. and then they immediately gave that to you because that's laundering. We just laundered right. it through the donor. <laughs> we just um, added someone else into the loop. Yeah. They're like, you can't, they don't want you to try to work around the policy by doing something like that. So Sometimes the friction can happen when we ask a donor for bank statements and mm. they throw a fit and they're like, I don't know what to tell you, but this is the only way it works. This is literally the guidelines. I don't make the rule. Right. I'm not doing this for fun. Yeah. Yeah. After three days of huffing and puffing, we get it through and it works. <laughs> so that's one of the only frictions with gifts. I think, again, the really important thing to note here is if you just pause before taking action and run it by your loan officer, it can save time, headache. Yeah. All of that. And I see that a lot. And what we do, it's so much easier. Not that we want to be here to give you permission to do or not do things, but because we can help things flow so much more efficiently yeah. that will save you time, anyone else that you're working with time and can get you to your end goal. Because I think all of our goal is to, you know, a loan officer's goal is to get you into that house, get you funded, make mm -hmm. that happen. You know, our goal is to see you live out your financial dreams. Like we're not here to do yeah. nefarious things. We want to see you succeed. So let us help you succeed. That's the biggest cause of friction. Like it's the easy, the quickest way to hate your loan officer is to do stuff and then tell them after is because they're going to be like, you did what? <laughs> okay. Well, now that you did that, like there's only these few options. Whereas if you told right. me before we could have, you know, I, I had a, a client once who the day before closing, he was like, Hey, guess what? I got a new job. What? <laughs> he was like, yeah, I make more money. It's not a problem. Like, yeah, it is absolutely a problem. <laughs> Uh, so we had to wait another month and guess who everyone was mad at me <laughs> when like, we absolutely told them, no, don't, no, no big life changes. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I'm the issue cause I couldn't make it work. I'm like, that's not how this works. <laughs> right. I, I <laughs> can only do what answer. I can do within the parameters that I can work within. Oh goodness. Yeah. Whereas if you asked me, I would have said, Hey, wait a week. Right. And, and this would, would be a non-issue. All right. Oh man. No, I think the timing can be so important. And I think 
at the same time that it can be so important, people also make it out to be more complicated than it has to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If someone, because we, we walk through what it looks like, right? If someone gets approved, everything's great. It lines up with their plans. They're able to go house shopping. Let's say someone comes in and, you know, they, they chat with three different, you know, lenders and they look at their finances and like, hey, you know, to do what you want to be doing or to afford the, the house that you want, you know, these are some action items that you need. This is probably a super general question, but for what you see, what does that normally look like? Is it normally like, hey, we need to get your credit score up, you know, 20 to 40 points or, hey, we need to do some debt payoff or, hey, we need a bigger down payment or, you know, kind of a combination of those depending on their personal financial situation. I think this depends a lot based on the location. Um, For me, you know, I'm, I'm in Dayton, Ohio, so we're kind of a kind of smaller ish metro area with a lot of like rural around it. The biggest problem all day long is the amount of cash people have to be able to buy a house um, because buying a house costs money up front. There are some creative ways, you know, different loans we can use to do 0% down, but there's still going to be closing costs. And in things like a seller's market, it's difficult to get the seller to pay, you know, negotiate mm-hmm. for them to pay the closing costs. And so that's one of the hardest things is like, everything's great, but it's going to cost you $10,000 to buy this house with your down payment closing costs. And you sent me a bank statement that has $7 in it. So like we need to somehow figure out how to make this work. That is the biggest thing that I see is people who don't have the savings for buying a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's really scary because I see so many people who buy a home and it wipes their bank account clean. Um, where like they bought, but they don't have any money left. Mm-hmm. And it's not a really great financial position to be in, I think, for a lot of people, um, which is why I, I feel like it is helpful to include an emergency fund in your timing where you absolutely can still talk to a loan officer to see those numbers, but mm-hmm. you might take a look at it and be like, hey, this bottom line number is going to wipe us clean and we don't want that. So maybe we back away from the, the home buying for a second to save maybe three months worth of expenses and then we can re-enter into the conversation because no amount of potential appreciation in a home is worth us not having any money to be able right. to cover repairs or moving costs or anything like that. Or health issues that come up or Absolutely. emergencies or a car breaks down or anything else. I know when I, I, I was that person with my first house, I hated living in an apartment and I could just barely make it happen. And I did it. And I had almost a $3,000 repair that had to happen on the house that we didn't know about six months after I bought it. So it immediately went on a a credit card and I spent the next three years dipping into credit card debt and then Mm -hmm. paying it all off. And it is what it is. It allowed me to live where I lived. I'm grateful to it. I've thanked it for, you know, thanked it for its use, but it was really, really stressful and didn't have to be had I been able to wait a few more months and set a few thousand dollars aside over that time. And that was a big factor in this house. We could have put just barely 20% down but it would have wiped everything out. So we put 10% down, took the hit on the PMI, which was not that bad to then have a much more robust emergency fund. And it is like night and day, the the, Mm -hmm. lack of stress that we have. And we were able to make improvements. We were able to buy the furniture. We were able to do the things that we wanted to do because we weren't so cash strapped. Yeah, absolutely. Would you like me to run through the, the timing of being under contract too, really quickly? I think that would be really helpful. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the under contract piece goes pretty quick. 
let's say we got approved for a mortgage. Then we talked with a real estate agent because that's the next step after that. And uh, we wanted to look for a home and we're kind of saying, hey, we want these things. And we we need three bedrooms, two baths. This much square footage would be nice. This school district would be great. And our lender approved us for this and we want to stay in that price range. Cool. We go and look at some homes. We find a home that we like. Our real estate agent is going to help us write an offer. And the offer just basically says, hey, we'll buy this for $400,000. We're going to close in 30 days. We're going to use this lender. Uh, we would like you to include the washer and the dryer and the whatever. That in your offer. The seller then hopefully is going to accept the offer. After that, you have a due diligence period. This is negotiated, but usually about two weeks uh, where you can have an inspection done on the home. This could be a general home inspection. Could be something more specific like a chimney inspection or structural inspection if you need something like that in an older home. Um, so you have this inspection period where you can get an inspector out and then you can potentially request repairs if you need it or back out of the contract uh, if you're like, ooh, this is way too much work. We didn't expect all this. Um, after the inspection, you're gonna, then going to have an appraisal scheduled where the lender is going to have an appraiser come out. Make sure the home is worth what we went under contract for. Um, that's going to come back. You're also going to be working with your loan officer again to potentially update things like your bank statements, uh, your pay stubs, maybe a credit report if it's you've been shopping for a while. They're going to tie everything together and uh, they're going to give you a document called a loan estimate. This is going to be three days after you get under contract is when they give you that first document to finalize your quote um, and show you like all the updated terms. And then you'll have your inspection, your appraisal. Uh, at some point in the process, your entire loan package is going to be finished. And this is when everything comes back. Uh, your appraisal came back. All your documents are submitted. There's going to be something called a title report that your lender is going to get on your behalf that most people don't even know happens. Um, when they put all that together in the file, you're going to get something called uh, a clear to close where the lender's like, hey, everything's done. We're never going to request anything of you again. We're all good to go. They're then going to issue you what's called a closing disclosure. And this is going to be like your initial quote, but it's going to have more updated and finalized fees because ever all the third parties submitted their fees. So you'll be able to say, this is our bottom line number. Unfortunately, in the home buying process, it's not like one number and that's it through the whole process. Those numbers can change um, slightly depending on you know different quotes that come in. Then usually what people do is they'll schedule a walkthrough of the home about 24 hours before you close. Uh, this is to make sure like, hey, there's no damage to the home before we move in or before we close. Uh, then you'll have your closing. Uh, this happens differently in different states. Here, it's very common for everyone to sit at the closing table together and it's like a big kumbaya oh, moment. Like buyer and <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a little interesting. Like, So you have the title company there, the buyer, the seller, the agents, everyone signs, exchange a check or two. That is very different. Day. Okay. A lot of places, they happen separately. So it's kind of strange that that happens here, but um, then you close and then your mortgage payment is due uh, a month minimum later. It's very confusing how this happens. So for instance, we're on June 2nd. So the first payment would not be due July 1st. It would happen um, like I'm trying to think of the easiest way to explain The first this. of the month, at least 30 days after the close. So August 1st. Yes. Yeah. That might be still uh, kind of convoluted, good... but yeah. I know it's it's one of those things like how do how do you make this how do I like package this in a clear sentence? But so we're in June. June if June had thirty one days and it, this was June first, hypothetically, then would that be a July first? It'd still be August first. So okay. 
we're in June right now, so we have to skip all of June. July gets skipped. The first mortgage payment is August 1st. Um, but if you weird. bought June 28th, it would still be August 1st. Correct. Yeah, so there's that full one month that is skipped, and then you're actually paying the interest in between. You know, we'd be paying mortgage interest between June 2nd and the end of June. I think that's super helpful. Awesome. Kyle, thank you. We will be back on our next episode chatting about budget and financing and all of the financial things, really, because I think that's actually going to be a little bit of a a more in-depth episode with what all we have to cover. So pop back next week. If you love this episode, make sure to leave a five-star review for a chance to win a free financial strategy session with yours truly, Caitlin Magnuson. We do the drawing the first week of every month and to be eligible, you'll want to leave a five-star review and include your IG handle so we can contact the winner. I'll see you next time where we'll chat real finances for real people.